Hi, everybody. It's Dimity McDowell from Another Mother Runner. If you're just finding this podcast that feels like Another Mother Runner, but it isn't, that's because it's full of specialty content geared towards the athletes in our Train Like a Mother Club. A heads up, there's what we like to call positive profanity from Coach MK in the Heart Rate Podcasts, so parental discretion is advised there. Whether you've got your eye on an Olympic distance triathlon, your first 5K, or a half marathon PR, we'd love to help you train. We have programs for most distances in running, triathlon, and ultra races, and a range of plans that suit all levels of running experience and fitness. So if you like what you hear, head on over to trainlikeamother.club to check out the plans and find one that will work for you. Thanks and enjoy the show. here um, with the uh, triathlon version of the Train Like a Mother webinar. We're talking off-season today with Coach Jen Harrison and uh, Liz Waterstrat, and um, I actually just hung up the phone with them <laughs> going over some plans for 2018, got a lot of um, good little tweaks and fun stuff coming, so I know Jen, I think, is on the line. Can you hear me, Jen? I can. Can you hear me? Yep, Absolutely. And, and uh, Liz is going to be joining us in a second. So, um, so we really wanted to take some time to just to talk about the offseason because you guys have spent so much time and so much energy and good stuff getting to be stronger swimmers and more efficient cyclists and kick-ass runners. And um, unfortunately, in fitness, there is no bank account. And so we don't want you to... Um, slide back and, you know, not slide back, but just we want we want to help you keep some of the gains that you made. You can't always train at a super high level, but you can definitely maintain a certain level of fitness through the winter. Right, Jen? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I encourage it. After 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 your, your last race of your season is done, taking some time for some R&R &R and, and then getting back and maintaining some kind of fitness for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, um, so we're, what we're going to do is um, I have some questions that you guys wrote in. If you have questions, you can either raise your hand if you want to talk. There's a little thing on your dashboard that says you can um, – that's like a little hand thing that you can talk. You can also, if you have a toddler in the room or your boss is hovering over your desk or whatever, um, you can uh, put in – type in your question, and then we'll be able to um, – I'll just ask it out loud, and then we'll talk about it. So you have three, two options. You can either talk live to these guys, or you can type in your question. And then, like I said, I've got questions that I took off our Facebook page as well. Um, and Coach Liz is here, so we are all uh, – we're a swim, bike, run trio, man, ready to go. That's right. Um, it's that's exciting. Right. All right. So, Coach Jen, what do you do in the off season? Tell me what – because you have a little bit older kids. You have high schoolers, right? I have high schoolers, so I um, – but I've been there, done that. So, got you know, been there, done that with my little kids. Um, but yeah, my, my kids are 15. But what I do is that I finish my race, whatever the last race of my season is, and then I go into almost a month where I, a week where I don't run because the running is where I need to be really careful. If I have any niggles from the season, I don't do that anything that causes problems. So if my Achilles is bothering me, I don't run. If my uh, shoulders are bothering me, I don't swim or whatever. So I do that for about a week. Um, and or 10 days, seven to 10 days. 
and I eat bad food and I go out late at night and I do fun things and then I sort of kind of get back into uh, a rhythm of workouts. Um, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong athlete, so for me not to work out is kind of weird. So I go into yeah. a thing where I might just, no schedule, I just go and run four miles if I feel like running four miles. Um, I, I go on my cross bike. I do a lot of fun different things. I take Pilates. Um, I try really hard to like yoga and take yoga in the off season, but it doesn't work. I don't like it. Um, I, you know, I'll go out and run with a friend or something who is uh, slower than me and just have an opportunity to chat and run at that pace. So that's, that's fun. So that's what I do. I do that for about a month. Or my season ended early this year. It ended mid-August, so I kind of feel like God, I'm bored now. But it's only October 15th, so um, I'll get back into some structure probably by November or so. And that's kind of what I do. Are you still swimming with you swim with your masters team when you um, when you have like at this point, or are you swimming on your own? My masters swimming program runs with the, the national championships, so it's since we compete, so they finish in May. And then they don't start again until October. Oh, so okay. that's how it runs a lot in Illinois uh, because okay. the national championships in May, the ones that compete. There's plenty of athletes on the master's teams that do not compete. And then I move over to open water in the summer, and then I just swim with friends. So I will get back into master's probably this Sunday, um, but okay. I've been off the master's for a little while. Sweet, sweet. Um, how about you, Jen? Are you there now? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. we can hear you. Awesome. Oh, good. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, so tell me about your off-season. What, what, what do you kind of emphasize, or how do you look at the off-season? I emphasize candy corn. <laughs> the Halloween food groups. Why? <laughs> no, um, the off-season is definitely a time just to recharge, rest, refocus, you know, spend more time with all of the people who have sacrificed a lot of themselves to, to help you, you know, make your goals happen. So sure. spending more time with the kids, um, doing things with your friends, having a social life, skipping workouts so you can go do fun things, kind of winging it with a schedule. Uh, and that way you're also mentally fresh when you do decide to take back on a schedule. Sure, so, sure. So right. I, I, love the, I love the off season. Try something yeah. new. You know, I always like to try something new. Like, what are you going to try new this year besides mini Kit Kats? Uh, yeah, right. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to try new this year. Um, but in the past, I've done things like hot yoga or um, we used to have pure bar in town, so the, the bar class. Um, this year, I tried Pilates for the first time, so I guess I'll, I'll keep, you know, keep that in my schedule. Yeah. So just things like that, you know, things that maybe there's a class at your gym. Hey, Jen has always wanted to try Zumba. <laughs> And now's the perfect time. <laughs> oh, dear goodness gracious. Yeah. I know. That's great. Well, what it is important, though, to, I mean, talk about the base that you need to keep up. I mean, you know, again, like like I said at the beginning, we don't want people training like they're training for a half Ironman over the winter, but it would also be a disservice to say you don't need to get in the pool regularly, right? I mean, kind of, can you kind of talk about baseline and why it's important to to get back, stay on the bike, stay in the pool if you have triathlon um, ambitions for 2018? I think you should aim to do at each sport two to three times a week. That way you're not starting over from square one. Uh, maybe if swim is a weakness, 
you might bump that up to four times a week and put your run down to two times a week or your bike down to two times a week. Uh, but I think two to three, two, two to three times each each week for each sport, and then adding in strength training two to three times. That way, you know that that will keep you, that will help you maintain what you've already gained, uh, without really losing it and having to start all over again. Yeah. 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 So starting all over again, I do have athletes, and I think. Uh, you know, they'll take just two months totally off where they don't do any activities at all except, you know, maybe a run once every few days or something. And, you know, you, you take 10 steps forward, you take 10, 11 steps back in the off season. So, um, and especially the older you get, uh, it's so much harder to stay in shape and, and stay in tip-top racing shape. And we don't, we don't want you guys staying in tip-top racing shape, but you need to have a platform, a base where we can kind of jump off when we get restarted in the, for that, after the off season is done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, let's go into a couple of questions for, um, that, that we've got from the Facebook page. Um, and I'll let you guys just decide who wants to take it. Um, Jessica has the first one. She said, when shopping for a bike trainer, what should she prioritize? That's a great question. Uh, as far as what to prioritize, you know, I would say that you want to make sure you get a bike trainer from one of the, t the, the top known brands. So that would be either a Cyclops trainer um, or a Kurt Kinetic trainer. That is if you're looking to get a straight up trainer. But I suppose, you know, she also needs to, to think, does she just want a trainer that she can put her bike on and ride? Or does she want what's now called a smart trainer? So a smart trainer is, you know, something where you can use power or you can connect it to um, your laptop and download a course. So I guess it's how fancy does she want to get? Sure, sure. What, be um, I mean, because of a basic trainer, the Kurt Kinetic or the, the Cyclops, those are what, run in the 300-ish range, is that right? Yeah, that's going to be about $300. You know, those last for a very long time, so it's a great investment to make. They're portable. If you go on a vacation, you can throw it in the car, bring it with you, uh, and it's simple. You just put your bike on it and you ride. Yeah, yeah. It's not portable, uh, you know, and that, that's 50 pounds. They're pretty close to your 50-pound well, limit. You're not going to take it on that. But yeah, you can put it, put it in, the, in the car. You know, people go up to a lake house or something, and, and that can sure. go with you. Yes. Um, and then what about the power trainers? I mean, what kind of uh, expense do you know kind of what those run? Yeah, that's going to run you well over 1000 if not $2,000. Um, okay. You know, a Wahoo Kicker might be $1,000. If you get a Tax Neo, that's going to run you closer to $2,000. And the difference there is some of the features, but also the noise that it makes. So Tax being top of the line, it's not going to be as noisy as a Wahoo Kicker. And really that becomes an issue you know, if you have kids sleeping uh, and, and you're, you're downstairs running that, that Wahoo kicker, it's going to be pretty noisy. Or if you live in an apartment building. So that's usually why people get the, the higher grade one because it's uh, quieter. There are workouts, though. You don't necessarily have to have a smart trainer to follow um, workouts. Like, I mean, I, I have the old, um, oh, my gosh, what were they called? Sufferfest videos that Troy Jacobson uh -huh. did. Oh, yeah. Do you, yeah. do, you, do you something like, is it Sufferfest or I, I can't remember exactly it is, what Yeah, what are, is it Sufferfest or I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's videos out there. There's um, Trainer Road, which is an online program. Um, you can just have a good old trainer, you know, and, and do your own workout. 
Yeah. And the workouts yeah. that Elizabeth and I write are totally appropriate and written for the basic trainers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's what I wanted to kind of, um, you know, we'll put in a couple, um, slide this in when it makes sense, but the off season programs that you guys have written are awesome. Um, no workout is over an hour. Um, there are a couple days where there are double workouts, um, but we also give you some guidelines so that if double workouts feel like too much, figure out where you want to slide that into your schedule and what makes the most sense, how to prioritize what you need to do. And we're going to talk about that in a little while with these guys as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the workouts, every bike workout, every swim workout is different than the one before it and the one coming up after it. So there's always something that you're working on technique-wise or form-wise. So it's pretty, uh, I got to say, sometimes when I'm like writing, you know, I'm co co copying them or, or editing them and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And, and, the, and the workouts that um, keep you mentally engaged are so, go by so much faster. Right when you're like switching it up every 10 minutes or every 20 minutes, or you're switching legs, or you're doing a different drill, and that's um, a real hallmark of your guys' workouts, which I I know is a lot of work from your end, but I think it's much appreciated from the athlete end. Thanks. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So this is a similar question. Barbara's asking. Uh, wants she wants to know how to prioritize our weaknesses. Um, for her particularly, that is getting more power on the bike, but. Jen, why don't you talk a little bit about how to, um, first of all, know what your weakness is if you're not sure, um, and then B, how to kind of spend some time on that um, being smart, working efficiently during the winter. Sure. So it's easy to figure out your weakness. Go to your last race and look at your age group and then figure out from a, a ranking system where, where you rank on the swim, bike, and row. Um, and if your swimming is the is lowest rank uh, of your age group or of all women, then that would be your weakness. So you always want to compare apples to apples. Um, compare the women in your age group and and then pull your weakness from from the your age group. Don't compare your if you're 40, don't compare yourself to someone that's 20 or a male that's 20, etc. Um, so then with your weakness, then yes, the winter is a great time to work on that weakness. So if it's for you, if it's the bike. Um, Frequency over duration is really important in the off-season, so more frequent riding um, and riding with a purpose. So if you're following the off-season plan, uh, there will be purpose in those workouts. Drill work, cadence work, big ring work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's really important versus just getting on your bike ride, bike and just spinning. Um, and there's a purpose for that, but if you're trying to improve to have some kind of specificity with your workouts. Um, the other thing too with the bike, um, and Elizabeth was talking about it a little bit ago, is to invest in either a better trainer um, or invest in a smart trainer, something that gives you more feedback, uh, whether that's power, um, or you can also go into the heart rate range uh, that we do in the season with the season workouts. The other thing too is to look at some of the local bike classes that are offered. Um, I don't necessarily mean spin, um, but what I mean by that are sometimes they offer compu trainer classes or uh, something that we're doing here soon. I teach compu trainer classes, but we'll soon be doing Zwift. So this is a smart trainer program, but that uh, allows you to go into these classes taught by uh, usually a reputable coach or bike coach and then a specific workout. And you don't have to pay anything except for the fee for the class. Um, so and that's usually a nominal 10 to $20 for that class. Um, and, and that's really a great, you're in there with other people, the class is exciting, the class is busy. Um, and I think that that's what I, would, what, I would, what I would do. The other thing, if money grew on trees, which it doesn't, 
is to buy another type of a bike. Uh, I know that not, might not be realistic to you, so I apologize if it is not, but we have our triathlon bike or our road bike that we race on. So, uh, one of the things that I have a lot of athletes do is they get on their cross bikes and mountain bikes all uh, fall and winter um, when it's safe and just get out and ride the trails and work on your bike handling skills and you know, enter a cycle cross race if you have any by you. You know, those kind of things just to change up the energy systems that you're riding and then work on weaknesses like bike handling, power, climbing, descending, stuff like that just makes you a better triathlete. Sure, sure. If she, if Barbara is specifically interested in power, do you guys have um, any specific recommendations for her? Um, just with power in mind or is that, or I mean, or, or are yeah. the just gave, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the nice thing about power meters is that they've become very affordable. Uh, and so you can get a, a good power meter for around $500 now. Um, you can get a pedal-based system. You can get um, a, a crank-based system. Um, and so I know on one hand, $500 sounds like a lot of money. On the other hand, you're talking about a really sophisticated piece of technology um, that will not only make you a better biker, but it's going to make you a better runner so it'll make you a better triathlete it's like the one tool that you can actually buy that will make you faster um, so, so and now is a great time of the year to look for these things people are unloading gear that they don't want or having end of the season sales so if that you know sounds like something you're interested in um, you can always reach out to coach Jen or myself and we're happy to talk you through the different options if you tell us your budget or your needs and would strength training also come into that um, for, for for generating her own power besides watching it on the power meter? Yes. Yeah, most Absolutely. women are, are limited by strength, you know, their, their own strength, um, and they, they just don't have the, the muscle to turn the pedals faster. Um, so good time of the year to hook up with a local personal trainer, um, tell them what you're looking to do, and meet with them. You don't have to meet with a personal trainer every week. You can meet with them once. Have them design a program for you, go through it with them, make sure you're doing everything right, stick with that program for six weeks, and then go back again. Perfect. Yeah, I have to go back uh, to what you were saying, um, Jen, about you're teaching the, the, um, the CompuTrainer class or the Zwift classes. I've taken a couple of those, and um, I highly recommend them, you know, just in case you don't know. You bring your own bike, and they have the trainers there. So you bring your own road bike or your triathlon bike, so you're on your own wheels, your own setup. Um, and then, like, the group around you and you race, you know, you, you're on a road and, of course, there's going to be, you know, the guys that are all competitive and, you know, whatever. But it's just fun to be in a group setting. Even So even if you're a beginner and you're like, oh, I'm, I can't hang with them, go because you're going to have a good time and you'll improve quickly over time in a group situation, more quickly in a group, in a group situation. Um, and this, this place that um, is near me, they also have a class that I want to try. It's called OMG, Oh My Glutes, and it's all about <laughs> getting um, – <laughs> Really strong glute activating. I know I can't. I really can't wait to try it. Actually, I need to uh, make sure that I sign up. But so, like some specific strength classes, like those that are really aimed at athletes and not necessarily, you know, body pump at the gym. Um, what might be another good call for you, Barbara, if you live in a in an area that might have those. Mm -hmm. um, okay, another bike question. Um, Erica is asking, what are good ways to stimulate hills on a trainer? Um, she wants to prepare for hillier courses on the bike this winter. Take it, Jen. Okay. With the bike on the trainer, 
Um, the best way to do that is with the big ring work. Uh, you just have to be really careful that you don't have any posterior uh, leg issues, Achilles issues, knee issues. Um, but um, Elizabeth and I put a lot of those workouts in the plans, in the triathlon plans. And so, for example, something like that would be you put your bike up on, in, on your trainer. Um, you can, if you want to, put um, the front wheel up. You can put the front wheel on. Um, phone books, it's like 1970, phone books or something like that, or some kind of big book, something that you have around, and put your front wheel on it. So it's about six inches off the ground. It could be a little bit more. Just so you're working the posterior side of your glutes, and or your glutes and your posterior side of your leg, legs. Um, and do big ring work. Do something like, um, yeah, obviously warm up and, and feel ready for it. But, you know, low cadence work is usually about 60 RPMs. Sometimes we can get into the 50 RPMs if you don't have any problems, but start at 60 to 70 RPMs, and then as you get stronger and you feel like you can handle more of a workload, you can get into the 50 RPM work, and you just need to do something like three by five minutes or three by four minutes with one to two minutes easy spin in between, something like that that's really short, and as you go through the weeks, you can do this workout every seven to 10 days, and you can increase that interval um, you know, by a minute each time, just be really careful that the first time you get on the trainer, you don't do three by 20 minutes at big ring and, you know, silly things like that. So be prudent with it and increase it gradually. But those are really good things. The other things that I have athletes do, Elizabeth does too, is we do some kind of plyometrics. And if you're, if you're not injured, injured or injury prone or have issues, some of the things that we like to do is you, for example, you might do one of those three by five minute big ring, which is 60 to 70 RPMs. Um, heart rate is tends to be a little bit lower for those, which is okay because we're pulling in more muscular strength than cardio there, and that's fine. Do the five minutes, get off the bike, and do 20 forward lunges, do 30 forward lunges, whatever your level of ability is there, and then get back on the bike, spin it, spin out your legs for one or two minutes at a higher cadence and then do it again. Um, you have to build into that, but you can do some strength off the bike, and you, you have huge rewards at that with something like that in the winter or off-season. Yeah, that's a great workout. Again, and that also breaks it up, which I think is really helpful mentally. So, yeah, you're like, okay, I'm going to get through this five minutes that I get off. I do some lunges. Um, yeah, and RPMs, just if you're new, is, is revolutions per minute. So she's talking 60 to 70, so that means that you're – uh, one leg is going around 60 or 70 times a minute. So your, your, your pedal cadence is slower than it would be if you were on flat ground or going downhill. Um, okay, swimming. Um, Erica wants to know, do you train differently for swims in the oceans versus swims versus um, lakes and rivers? Are there things to do differently in preparation? So if she's, we're looking at the off season right now, I mean, Obviously, unless she like lives in Florida or something like that, but can you talk a little bit about the difference between an ocean swim versus a you know a, a freshwater swim, lakes and rivers, and how you would prepare for them differently um, if you didn't have the ocean nearby? Sure. sure. Do you want me to do that, Elizabeth, or do you want to talk? I I got it. Uh, you know, in, in the ocean, you're going to be a little bit more buoyant because of the salt water, so you could spend a little more time using your pull buoy to simulate that feeling of being more on top of the water. You also want to make sure you have a, a faster turnover rate. Um, that will help you to deal with choppier conditions, to help you power through the water a little bit more. 
other than that, you know, getting used to, I guess, the chop in the more turbulent water would be important. So this is where if you have a friend who can just get in the pool, put on some fins or grab a kickboard and they kick in front of you and they make a lot of turbulence in the water, that way you get used to swimming through what can be choppier conditions. Um, other than that, it's, it's, it's pretty much the, the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's asking um, if she's a beginner. Oh, she says she's fairly new to the sport. Does it make sense to focus on races that um, have lake swims um, and later move to swims where currents or waves have to be taken into account? So talk about if you were, you know, more of a beginner triathlete, do you have any preference on what body of water they swim in? I think a lake is 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 really probably the, the best way to start um, unless you know unless you feel like confidence is really your strong suit and and, and fearlessness I think the a first triathlon in the ocean would be a little daunting for anyone um, and we want you to be successful and, and enjoy your introduction to the sport so start with a lake that way the conditions are generally calm controlled uh, just a lot less things you have to worry about and a river, though, I mean, if the river, if the current's going with you, that's that's not going to, is that terribly... Uh, no, that'd be a good thing. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so, yeah, so, and there aren't any, are there any triathletes or triathlons where you have to swim against the current? Uh, yeah, they just did Worlds, right? 7.3 yeah. Worlds was against the current, part of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Where was that? In Chattanooga. Oh, okay. All right, so... Investigate which way the current's going. <laughs> Don't think it's like me. Like I'm like, oh, they're always going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, <laughs> that's a good. Uh, that's a good. Um, good to know. Okay. Um, so Laura has a question about rest, and I think this is important for a lot of us because I think people who are drawn to the sport are pretty type A plus, right? And so we want to not lose the gains we've made. Um, but she's interested in what discipline to focus on most if recovery is really important. Her nutritionist thinks. She's in adrenal fatigue, um, so she wants to maintain her fitness. She's scared of not giving herself enough of the proper type of rest. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, that frequency over duration and, and kind of when you are really making sure that you get enough rest? Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, go. You want to talk, Elizabeth? I, I mean, just, you know, the, 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 the adrenal fatigue, um, you know, I think that probably what's best indicated for someone who's maybe a little bit overcooked or strung out or, you know, overstressed is to keep the intensity really low and to almost consider something like a long walk as your exercise for the day um, or some swimming or, or yoga, you know, not keeping things short so you're not adding stress um, because you're out there long or you're burning through a lot of calories. So that, that would be my suggestion. Jen, what do you think? No, that I agree. I agree 100%. I kind of go back. My gut tells me to go back to the sleeping. So, um, if you are not sleeping consistently through the night, and this is babies and kids aside, okay? So all babies and kids aside, with sicknesses and little ones, if you're not sleeping consistently through the night, you have to really, when you wake up in the morning, really assess what you're going to do that day. And in the off season, if you're sleeping through the night. Um, or you wake up and you go to the bathroom and you go right back to sleep, that doesn't count. I mean the insomnia, the waking right. up at 2 o'clock being starving, usually not eating enough, or you're stressed out and you're not sleeping enough. Those are other signs that come with the adrenal fatigue and overcooked. Then you need to do something like Elizabeth said. You need to do some yoga. You need to go for a walk. If you get sleep and you feel rested and you feel good, those are the days that you might want to 
go for a little jog or something like that. But you gotta you gotta remember kicking yourself or overworking yourself in the off season, you'll it will be detrimental to you feeling good next year and for your races next year. It's a really hard hole to get out of. So if your nutritionist uh, feels that this is what you have, then take those words wisely and do short, frequent workouts. But like Elizabeth said, really, really um, low key. Yeah, yeah. You bringing up sleep, um, Jen, reminds me of this. Um, I'm gonna have to find it, and I can't even remember the proper name of it. But it's it's a fun little chart because we all love to you know take quizzes and, and that kind of thing. But it's a cool chart about um, how hard you should work out the next day, and it's obviously to to you know it's it's not you know, the golden rule by any stretch, but it takes into account like your sleep, your stress, the workout that you did yesterday. I mean, it's, it's a nice guideline, um, especially for people who are prone to do too much because they're, they, they get worried about um, losing um, fitness. I think that's, I, I'm going to find that and uh, include it when I send this out as a podcast so you guys can just at least take a look at it. Um, okay, Andrea, my question, um, what if, so in 2018, she wants to do a lot of races, a couple 5Ks, a couple 10Ks, a couple sprint triathlons and a couple half marathons. And then she says at least a race a month. <laughs> so um, when you're trying to kind of um, integrate sprint triathlon with running races, how do you kind of walk that balance? What would you do um, if you were her private coach? How would you tell her to kind of think about um, prioritizing her um, goals? The, the first thing I would, I would remind her is that we can't do it all. Even though, even though we want to do it all, um, we can't do it all. So I would suggest first pick your priority. So is your priority triathloning or is it running? Um, and then, you know, whatever your answer is, the other thing is going to fall to the wayside a little bit. So if your goal is to set a PR in your 5K and your half marathon, then your training program would be more run-focused, and we would just do a little bit of swimming and biking um, almost as cross-training, so that you could just simply complete the triathlon. But if you want to get better at triathloning, then we would, you know, use those run races that you want to do more as a workout, uh, just just a hard workout in the week, um, but without putting a lot of performance goals on those run races. So, I mean, racing is, is why we do this. It's fun to race. Um, we just have to be realistic in the races we take on and the goals we attach to them. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Would, would you add anything, Jen? No, she no. I would just say make sure your expectations. If you're going to race a lot, um, and I I did that. Every, I mean, I raced five weekends in a row this summer. Um, triathlon every uh, five weeks triathlon with a half Ironman in there. So I understand that that drive, and I get it, and as most of us do. But I also had very realistic expectations. It doesn't mean I wasn't pissed if I didn't do as well as I wanted to, but you have to you have to have realistic expectations into these into these races because you just can't you can't you can't do it all. She's, Elizabeth is right. Okay, well, here's Andrea right here. Actually, she wants to talk. So let's see if we can get her. Andrea, can you hear us? Hi, Andrea. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, so what uh, what are your priorities for 2018 besides doing one race a month, or is that kind of your goal, just to do a race a month? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really, you know, I don't want to win anything. That's not it. It's just more to participate and and have fun at them. But I really like the mix of triathlons and running. So, I think doing a race every month is is fair. It's short course racing. You're not saying I want to do half Ironman every month. Um, so I think it's I think it's fair. I think what you need to do is sit down 
and write out your, your year and all the races and look at the timing of them and just make sure you have enough adequate rest in there and you probably should follow the triathlon plan if that's your number one goal follow the triathlon plan because the 5 and 10k work will get done in the triathlon plan um, and focus on that because that requires the most time but you're getting so much fitness by the triathlon training that adding a 5k or 10k here and there is is great and part of part of triathlon okay thank you and I think the other reason is too is that my husband's a huge triathlete so if I don't fill up my calendar then he will fill it up with his race schedule so that's probably the more honest answer too <laughs> for sure right. yeah yeah when, when do you want to do your half iron or half half marathons I mean are they well, um, I signed up for one already May 4th okay you have one next year uh, probably I'll do another one in the fall. Yeah. I mean, you know, so if you followed a, a half marathon plan up until early May and then jumped into, you know, triathlon training, um, you know, for a, you know, July, August race, um, and then kind of switched back to running, I mean, that, that would work. If you going back to half marathon and then like, like coach Jen said, throwing in, you know, the five K's and 10 K's, um, that's pretty, uh, pretty doable. Okay. Thank you. I like that idea. Awesome, awesome. And wait, yeah. we got to hear how did your um, I know you wrote about this on your Facebook on the Facebook page, but how did the um, triathlete triathlon with your blind athlete go? It went well, didn't it? It went well, yeah. So it was a try, a try in um, Guelph, Ontario, okay. and um, so it was it was it was good. It was fun. There were no expectations. Um, the for the swim we had like a little bungee around our waist. And then the bike, I had purchased a $400 used mountain, used tandem mountain bike. And um, the run was was good. We passed a lot of people on the run. So it, it was it was amazing. Like it just felt so good to to help her. And she was she's a she's a bammer. She she's a mom to two um, children, a six and an eight-year-old, and she actually went blind at age ten. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, we met at the gym too, like a couple years ago and yeah, we'll probably do a couple running races together and maybe another try try next year as well. That's great. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, that's very cool. And you have the bike, so yeah, you may as well. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. cool. Well, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for being thanks. such a, uh, for all the energy and enthusiasm you bring to the page, too. It's really fun to see. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Um, okay, uh, Michelle has a couple questions. Um, she's looking at some possibilities for the um, full next year, meaning the full Ironman. Uh, she's waiting to get through a couple um, decisions. Waiting, uh, she's got a couple. Her boyfriend has a couple health issues that they have to work out first. But one of the races that she's looking at is Ironman Boulder. Um, so how would she go about training for the difference at in altitude? Um, uh, you you cannot. Nope. Yeah. Um, which is I know. Absolutely, what no one wants to hear, but there is nothing you can do at sea level to prepare you for training and racing at altitude except to actually get up there and acclimate. And if you're going to acclimate, it does take a good 10 to 14 days, and who has the time to do that, right? So, what they suggest is that you get there as close to the race as possible. So, within like 36 hours prior to the race, you get there. You don't get there 48 to 72 hours. You get there as close to the race as possible, so your body almost doesn't know what's going on. Um, 
and, and you just race. Um, so there's nothing training-wise you could do at sea level. You can just get there right before the race up at altitude. And then once you're racing at altitude, you know, you'd have to be extra careful about your hydration. You're, um, you're going to burn through calories quicker at altitude. The swim will always feel harder. Mm -hmm. The bike is typically faster because the air is thinner. And the run just feels a little bit harder because you're, you're running at altitude, you know, so it's, it's just harder to get that oxygen. Yeah, so we try to, not to discourage you from doing Boulder, um, but when, my, when people call me and ask me about Boulder, I'm like, eh, no. Unless they live at altitude or some kind of level of altitude. I did have a, an athlete one year. She did it from here, from Chicago, and she, but she, this is a, this is ex aggressive. She lived, she slept at uh, altitude all night, so she had a sleep chamber tent. Okay, well, I mean, who can do that? So, um, I mean, we don't want to discourage you from it, but it, it's what makes, if it's going to be your first Ironman, make it a really fun experience. Have fun with it, and don't throw on the caveat. It's going to be hard enough, and the wind, and the rain, and the weather, and all the other issues that you have with the Ironman. Um, don't add the compound of it, of the altitude. It's just, it's really hard. We just can't really get people ready for it, like Elizabeth said. Yeah, and as someone who lives here in altitude, I wouldn't want to do Ironman Boulder. I mean, yeah. you know, I would consider it just because it's my home race and I would be able to sleep in my own bed. But, you know, if you don't have to make the, like Jen just said, if you don't have to make the race harder than it is already, then don't. Um, and if you have that option. I mean, so what are some of the, um, what Ironmans do you like and why do you like them? Um, either for beginners or for pretty courses, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an easy course because if it's a pretty course, that's also something that's um, equally intriguing, I think, to people. So which ones do you like? You know, if she's interested and in, in, in open to traveling, one of the events that gets great reviews is Mont Tremblant. So that's up in Quebec. Um, the race itself is situated around a ski town, and the ski town really embraces the entire race. It's a great experience for the family, for kids. It's a little bit costly because you're in a ski resort, um, but it's beautiful, and it's just a great race experience for the entire family. If she's interested in staying in the, in the U.S., you know, it, it kind of comes down to this. Does she want what's going to be a great race experience, or does she want an easy course? If you're looking for an easy course, if there is such a thing at an Ironman, you know, you're looking at flat courses like Florida, Maryland, Arizona. Um, if she wants more of a great race experience, I don't think you can beat Ironman Wisconsin. It's just so well-supported, um, spectator-friendly. It just has a great vibe to it. So those would be my I, suggestions. Yeah, I would put in Coeur d'Alene, too, but I know – they, they, I think it's going to be, like, the last years. Yeah, they're right? done with that one, I think. They're done with that one, yeah. Oh, they're totally done with it? Okay, all right, because yeah. I – Passed through that town a couple times, and that is that's also fun. Yeah, I mean, I would really, uh, I would take those to heart. Not that I'm discouraging you from coming to Boulder, but I just know that, you know, I I I have volunteered at that course, and people um, suffer more than they need to than I've seen at other Ironman. So um, so unless you've got your eyes set on Boulder for family reasons or some other reason, um, you might want to think about some other ones. Um, what about um, what about half Ironmans? Which which ones do you guys like? Um, it depends. Back to the Ironman thing that Elizabeth said. So as far as I like the I like the really weird ones. I like Muncie, Indiana. Um, mm -hmm. It's hot. 
it's a, usually a non-wetsuit swim, not always. Um, and the bike is flat and windy, and the run is uh, rolling um, and hot. Um, so I love Muncie. I love um, Steelhead, which is up in, in, in Michigan, is great. The problem with Steelhead, it's in Lake uh, in the Lake Michigan, and it tends to swim tends to get canceled there. Uh, I was up there one year, and the swim was canceled, and then they turn it into kind of a bike time trial thing, which is oh. unappealing to some people, to me. Um, so you always there's always caveats with all the half Ironmans. The other ones that are really great, I mean, there's just so many great ones. Um, you know, Elizabeth and I were in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago. We raced that one. I'm not sure that will happen next year with everything going on down there. Um, there's there's 70.3 Arizona this weekend. There's New Orleans this weekend. Um, there's Augusta next weekend. Um, there's just Florida in May. There's just so – I don't really have any that people – that people dislike. Um, between Elizabeth and I, we've had all of our athletes race all of them, and you know the feedback is always usually really fantastic. There's always a weather issue with something, um, but that's with any race, and that's the risk that we all take, just with Mother Nature. But you can't really go wrong. So do your research. Go to Ironman.com, and then go to the 70.3 races, and find the course that interests you as far as the explanation of it. Pretty or fast or hilly. Um, non-wetsuit swim, wetsuit swim, that kind of stuff. Um, that will help you kind of make your decision on and where you want to travel. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any that stick out in your mind, Liz? Uh, let me think here. I know people really enjoy the one in Chattanooga, which is in mid-May. Um, Chattanooga is a, another one of those towns that just really embraces the triathlon scene and the race. Uh, so you could consider that. Um, we did the one in Madison this year. That was a fantastic yeah. race, very challenging. Um, people enjoy um, the Florida 70.3, which is in May, kind of nice. You could, you know, weave that into a little family trip to uh, Disney and then hop over and, and do the race or, or do Disney after the race. Um, and then later in the year, you know, Mont Tremblant does have a it does have a half Ironman. Um, some of the Canadian ones people really like. The Victoria 70.3 in Canada is pretty easy to get to, but people like it for the scenery. And Canada just um, does a really nice job of producing races. So, so half Ironman options—they're they're all over the place. It kind of just depends on you know what's your budget and what are you looking for, what kind of course. Yeah. Do you guys have any experience either yourself or with athletes doing um, the main 70.3? Erica's wondering. Um. No, um, but I think the race director, I think I know the race director, and she has a, a great reputation for putting on excellent races. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I can second that. And I had athletes that have done it once, but not too many just because it's so new. I think it just started last year or this year. Yeah, it, it's new, definitely okay. a newer one. Okay. Um, good to know. All right, so we are going to wrap this up in a couple minutes. Um, so if anyone has any other questions, if you're listening now, if you want to um, throw them up or raise your hand, that would be great. Um, and so I guess I just, if, if you are a swimmer and you know that you want to get faster on the swim, um, I know we've talked about frequency over duration, but, I mean, is there anything else? Like, should you be having a drill set in every swim? Should you spend time kicking more, pulling more? Like, I mean, you know, if you, if you have people that know they need to work on their swim, what are some general guidelines you'd like to give them? Oh, this is my favorite topic. Oh, oh go ahead, Jen. <laughs> I'm just going to look Here's my two cents. Just swim more. Swim more. Yeah. All right. Coach Liz, and here comes Coach Jen with some specifics. 
For more, yes. Second, hire somebody to look at your stroke. People ask me every year, all my athletes, all anybody, what is the best way to spend my money? And aside from the power meter, the my number one answer is have somebody help you with your swim stroke. And in my in my experience, if somebody that is local to you, if you can, somebody that has swimming background for triathletes or just swam and is not only a good swimmer but a good coach, right, good instructor, and somebody that you can see on a regular basis. And the problem with swimming is that it takes so long to see the to see progress in the swimming pool that people just give up and they get frustrated. I'd much rather have people that are struggling with the swimming just do drills, swim nothing longer than 25s and 50s, and work on their stroke um, for a while. And then every day, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, swim more. And then once they get some feedback and they feel like they're making progress, then swim. Get involved with a master's swim program. Not all master's athlete swimmers compete. So get involved with that. And like Elizabeth said, swim more. Um, if you're swimming once or twice a week, you will not, you won't get better unless you're a total beginner that's been, that's new to the, brand new to the sport doing your first sprint. You might, you might see the progress there, but you really have to swim a lot uh, to get better. And that's why Elizabeth said that right away is because that's how she got better. She was, when she started triathlon, she was a, a good swimmer, but not a great swimmer. And she just worked her ass off and swam all the time, swam with faster people, swam behind faster people, joined the master's team did everything she possibly could just to throw herself to the wolves in the swimming. And, you know, now she's a very, very good swimmer. So um, she speaks from personal experience about that. Nice. Um, Abigail has a question here. I'm going to unmute you, Abigail. Uh, are you there? Uh, hi, can you hear me? Hi, yeah. Speak up a little bit. Okay, sorry. Um, so I developed a pretty bad case of plantar just kind of at the end, right after my, my try that I had in August. So I can't run. Okay. I can't do any of the off-season plans right now, and I've been, I'm about to join a master's program at my Y, and I'm going to, I've been just doing indoor biking, kind of like spin classes. It doesn't feel, like, I don't feel like I'm staying as fit as I would be if I was running, so just suggestions. I have a feeling I'm out for a couple of months. Sure. So just to recap, just in case, uh, in the podcast form, she has plantar fasciitis um, and she needs to take a break from running. So she's feeling like she's um, losing her fitness just doing her master's uh, team at the Y and doing a spinning class. So what would you guys recommend? My first question would be, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure she's already taken care of this, just to be sure that you're getting PT done on it, that you're addressing not just the symptoms but also looking at what caused this, overuse, bad bike position, run form, run shoes, um, you know, so so that would be my first question. Have you have you kind of taken care of the behind-the-scenes stuff like that? No, no, I'm a, I'm a teacher, so. <laughs> okay, okay, so that, you know, there really should be no injury that takes you out of running completely um, unless we're talking like, you know, back disc issues or bone-related issues, so, so rather than kind of banging your head against the wall like, oh, I'm losing this fitness and, and my run, I would really make that your training right now. I would really put that on a priority, um, find a way in your busy life um, just to, to get that treatment in because the longer you let this go, uh, the more recalcitrant it gets and, and the harder it is to beat. And also, you know, you really enjoy running, so you want to get back to that. Um, 
but also you want to look at maybe it's like the way you're pushing off the wall in the pool or maybe yeah. it's like the spin bikes or, you know, so we just want to look at what's causing this because it's not fun to be injured. Okay. Um, but then once you address that, you know, when you when you uh, can get back to running before then to kind of maintain your run fitness, have you tried something like does the elliptical flare it up or have you tried even deep water running? No, okay. Yeah, so there's some ideas that you can keep something that's similar to running but doesn't involve the impact or the push-off, which, which could be bothering that, that plantar fasciitis. Um, so you could do that. Um, you could increase your bike training a little bit uh, because that will help you just maintain general fitness. Um, and then increase your swimming, um, you know, because swimming is great work for your engine without a lot of stress on the body. So um, just be sure you're not doing a lot of kicking. Uh, I would say no fins, and I would be very careful about the push-off on the wall, especially with the affected foot. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Does that help? Yes, it does. Thank you. You can do, um, Abigail, you know, you can do the workouts. If, if the elliptical doesn't hurt your foot, um, you know, you can do the same workouts uh, from the plan. You know, you can easily transpose that to an, another um, modality, you know, so it's whether it's elliptical or, um, I mean, the Stairmaster or whatever you need, whatever you have, you know, you can do that as well, just so you know. Okay, um, all right. So mix it up, basically. Just don't, you know, if, if it feels good, then, then go for um, more of a workout. Okay. Um, all right. Thank you. Awesome. Good luck. Bye. Yeah, and then also, if you need help finding a physical therapist, if you go to the, um, I've sent this link to a lot of people. <laughs> I think it's APTA.org, which is the Association of Physical Therapists of America or something like that. But if you Google find a physical therapist, um, you get to a link where it's um, put in your zip code. So hopefully you can find something close to your home or close to your school. Um, and uh, if you can find some somebody with the OCS, which is the orthopedic clinical specialist, um, uh, on top of their PT and all their other um, letters after their name. Um, we found with running that helps a lot because they really look at your alignment and some other things because what might be causing your PT might be your hip or your glute strength or, I mean, it's not necessarily something um, going on in the lower half of your leg. So okay. um, having them do kind of a full body evaluation and really um, looking for muscle imbalances and, um, and alignment of your hips and your um, sacrum, uh, especially if you have um, carried children, either on your hip or in your belly, <laughs> it makes a difference. Okay, okay, thank you. Cool, take care. Um, awesome. And there's just one other little question here, and I, I just want to, just because we have five minutes, I want to um, address it because I think it is important. Um, Michelle is asking, I know we talked about getting a power meter, but what are the benefits of having one? So, you know, power meters used to be super expensive. They're still not cheap. They're about $500, um, says Liz. But I want to know if you have one or if you invest in one, why, why does it um, make such a difference in your cycling? The power meter is, is really going to help you understand what you're doing when you spin that pedal. Um, okay. It's going to get you to make the connection between the pressure you're putting on the pedal and how that's translating to, to power and wattage. And you'll start to better understand, okay, this is how hard I need to press the pedal to go faster. Because I think people just kind of, you know, spin their legs around and, 
and they don't understand that relationship um, or understand how to you know use the gears to generate more power um, so it just kind of ties it all together in the same way that seeing your pace on the GPS you know helps you understand oh okay when I turn over my feet a little bit faster on the run I, I go faster or just making those different connections sure sure now that makes sense and I think it also helps I mean you know um, I, you know, sometimes it's a, similar with a heart rate monitor. You know, kind of when you're um, in territory that you can't sustain. Sometimes I think, you know, especially towards yeah. the beginning of the race, you look down and you're like, and and a deep and a garment. You, know, you look down and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm running an 8:15 mile. I've never seen that in, you know, in any of my practice runs. Or, um, oh my gosh, I'm pushing 360 watts. I've never seen that before. <laughs> like, how am I, you know, I'm gonna burn out, right? So um, I think that that's super helpful. And then you kind of figure out where your where like that's a good maintenance place for you to be, where you can spin, still have some strength, but not not burn your matches out, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then power specific for every person, which is really important. So for going back to those CompuTrainer classes that I was talking about trying to get into over the winter, um, or even at home when you have smart trainers, um, then you know you have specific. You know we do tests just like you would in heart rate. You do a test and you get a power number and it's relatable to your weight so it's a power to weight number and you can increase that power number and decrease your weight and that's one way to get faster and you know Dimity what your power number is is different than my power number and Elizabeth because we're all different shapes and sizes but the workouts that you you have when you follow power whether it's in a zone or whether it's a specific percent of of a number then it's very specific towards you and then you know exactly so for example when we have Ironman athletes we had Ironman athletes in Kentucky this past weekend so earlier today I was on the phone with these athletes going over their bike files and specifically all the power numbers you know were you able to be in the power range that I wanted so let's say that power range was 160 watts to 170 watts and how over the course of 112 miles did that change and why did it change and was it because your nutrition was off or because you went out too hard well Elizabeth and I go over those files daily with people and we're able to assess not only progress but assess what they did right and wrong based off power it's just it's a fantastic objective tool um, to have and you can teach yourself about that um, and there's books out there that Elizabeth and I can recommend and et cetera, et cetera, that can kind of help you train with power, we call it. Train with power. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, you guys. Thanks, Coach Jen and Coach Liz. Um, just, again, we are heading into the off-season. We do have the off-season plans. We, we put them into five-week chunks. So you can take five weeks. You can take 10 weeks. You can take 15 weeks. Um, like I said, no no workouts over an hour, which is lovely. So it is it gives, does give you time to you know clean your linen closet or see a movie, um, you know whatever you want to do. You're not you're not necessarily um, tied to training training, but it keeps you honest and it keeps you on your bike and in the pool. Because I can tell you, on January mornings, the last place that most of us want to be is in the pool. But if Coach Jen, Jen and Liz and your fellow triathlete teammates are in the pool, you're going to be able to get in the pool. Um, so. Um, those are on the trainlikeamother.club, um, and if you have any questions, you can email us um, and ask about them, um, and uh, or ask about them on the Facebook page. And we're looking forward to a really, really fun 2018. We've got, um, like I said at the beginning of this call, we've got a couple um, things we're going to do to uh, make 2018 um, 
a little bit more uh, accessible and um, give you more information. We're going to do some, Jen and Liz are going to start a podcast on their own. We're also going to do some short podcasts. We will have the Ironman plan. I know I said it was going to be up by the end of September. Um, we're just one month late. <laughs> so it'll be um, up by the end of October, um, and we're ready to rock and roll with that. That's going to be 36 weeks, and we'll get you ready for Ironman Boulder or whatever you have on your mind. And um, I think that's it. Do you guys have anything you want to add, Jen and Liz? Besides, no, just enjoy off. your off season and let yeah. us know what we can do to help. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day, and um, we will see you out on the road and in the pools. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.